0: Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. It's been a while between chats.
1: Hello, Grant. It has been, hasn't it? But you've been very, uh, you've been very busy. There's been air shows. You've been doing a lot with our sister title with PKN uh-huh. at the uh, AIP conference this week. Yep. I hear that my publisher uh, Lindy did something like nineteen live or YouTube. Slash podcasts.
0: Yep, eighteen live-streamed YouTube interviews that will be converted into episodes at a later date.
1: She's a powerhouse.
0: Oh, she's a machine.
1: <laughs> I don't think I'll be. I don't think I'll be able to uh, ever even come close. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grant, hmm? with uh, Australia's cultivated meat startup vow revealing a mammoth meatball made from the extinct woolly mammoth this week. And another Australian startup, Magic Valley, announcing it had developed a cultivated pork product, and it had launched, it launched a lamb product last year, coming onto the scene. Today's guest couldn't be more timely. Professor Paul Wood has led R and D teams from CSIRO to CSL and Pfizer. He has brought innovative products to market, which ended up um, led him to being recognised with the CSIRO Medal a Clooney's Ross Award, and being made an Officer in the Order of Australia. I think he's the first of those for us. I think so. Uh, (laughs) But it's his experience of being in and around the biotech field in both academic and industry roles for four decades, and he's level-headed, thoughtful, and nuanced commentary on cell-based meats and precision fermentation that brings him here today uh, for a chat. Welcome, Paul.
2: Welcome, Kim. Nice to be here. Uh, there,
1: there, sure is a lot of hype, isn't there, at the moment surrounding cultivated meat. What with Vow's mammoth meatball, and also Vow, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, putting in an application to FSANZ for uh, approving its quail cultivated quail product for that it's fit for human consumption. Um, where are we at with that? Are we anywhere anywhere near seeing these products as a viable alternative?
2: Yeah look it is a really interesting space uh, and I think the first thing I I'd, I'd say to people is the tech actually works you know we're not we're not talking about the tech actually works the problem for this tech is it's actually quite expensive and I'm sure we'll get into mm. that and it's actually difficult to scale so the the issue will be you know for those who say hey this tech's going to transform our our industry and and lead to the the end of you know live animals. Um, I basically use that very strong technical term bullshit. <laughs> um,
1: that's, that's curious. I, I I don't know of that technical term at
2: all. <laughs> it's very Australian technical term. Very Australian. Term. Yes. I, I, I did actually use it once when I was first when we were first acquired by Pfizer, and I was sitting on late night calls, and they'd tell me it's all okay, we've got taken care of that. And eventually, I got tired of it, and I used that word. And everyone went very silent. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, you know, I was actually reporting to a guy in the States and he was Australian. He just came in and said, that's an Australian technical term. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's an enormous amount of hype, a lot of investment. You know, we're talking about $2.5 billion globally that's come into this sector and about 150 companies working in the sector. You mentioned the two in Australia, you know, Vow in Sydney and and, and Magic Valley here in mm. Melbourne. To some extent, I, I think Vow is one of the few groups that's actually quite honest about their business model, because they say this is going to be an expensive product, like the morsel product, you know, yes. this, um, a quail yeah. product. You know, it's going to be a hundred dollars a kilogram. You know, uh, it's going to go to high-end consumers in in upmarket restaurants. You know, so that's a perfect. You know, that I believe that's you know what where this is going to sit. I don't believe it's going to compete in the commodity market, you know, against, you know, hamburgers and sausage meat and things like that, you know. Um, Because the other thing is this isn't producing a steak. This isn't producing a a nice steak that I'll go out and go to the Vic markets and buy, you know, $50 a kilogram. It's a burger, (laughs) you know. Uh Now, Mm. they're really big in the states. They're just not as big. I mean, I don't. Invite someone to dinner and sit down in the d- dining room table with a tablecloth and serve a yeah. burger.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, that's something, you know, outside on the barbecue. So, you know, we've just got to put the context of, of where these products are going to fit in the market. So what's the competition? It's a commodity market.
1: See, to me, I see it as a technology, not a commodity. Does that make sense?
2: Well, you're you're using a technology, but in the end, the products you produce from that technology are going to compete against commodity products. So the idea of using highly high tech, expensive technology to compete in commodity markets to me is a business 101 failure from the start. Because if I've got, if I'm using an expensive manufacturing process, I want a high price premium. And that's not what we're going to see here. So, you know, in in Singapore, the, the, you know, if we look at it, there is one cell-based product on the market in the world. It's in Singapore. It came on the market in 2020. It's a chicken nugget. You know, it's 70% chicken cells and 30% plant, and it sells for $20 a chicken nugget.
1: It better be tasty, Paul.
2: I tell you what. Well, <laughs> people say it is tasty, but generally what they do is they dip it in whatever favourite sauce they have and go, isn't that fantastic? And it it's the beauty about Chicken, it generally is, <laughs> is a relatively bland yeah. meat and therefore it will absorb flavours. Mm. Um, so, yes, it's a beautiful chilli chicken nugget or a barbecue chicken nugget, but it's not – the flavour is not coming from the product itself. No,
1: This is just off on a tangent, but I had a conversation once with Nick Hazel, who was the, well, he was the founder of V2 Foods and he was the CEO. He's just recently stepped down. And when V2 developed its chicken product, he said it actually hadn't really been on the top of their priority because, you know, industrialised sort of chicken production had less impact than something like a like beef or pork. Yeah, And I'd never actually thought about it like that, but- um yes, so then it is interesting that the cultured um, space the chicken was the starter was the sort of starting point. So
2: what happens <laughs> like uh, okay so so you yeah, basically the concept of cell-based meat was rather than have to slaughter an animal and harvest the, the meat, I take a biopsy from the animal and I isolate out some stem cells, um, you know, and I grow them up in the lab. Uh, you know, I'm looking for muscle cells. You know, there's a, there's a few different cell types you can use. You know, for for culture. Um, so I'm growing muscle cells in the lab, and then eventually I let those muscle cells differentiate into my, myofibers. And so I've got a fiber, you know, fibrous texture. I still literally got a. A soup, you know. Right. I've got a, a cell slurry. Yes, that's what I was going to ask. It cells in liquid, yeah, right. you know, and 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 I've got to get rid of all that liquid in the end, you know, um, uh, and then I've got to cr- harvest that biomass. But it is a single cell suspension. The one of the things that is a problem is that um, mammalian cells are quite difficult to grow. You know, they don't. They're not like bacteria or yeast. You know, some people say, oh, this is like brewing beer. Well. Sorry, it's nothing like brewing (laughs) Uh, beer. So, you know, mammalian cells generally divide, uh, you know, once every 24 hours, not like bacteria, which is sort of 60 minutes. Um, They like uh, expensive growth media, so they won't grow, you know, without, you know, hormones. You know, traditionally we used to use fetal calf serum, but obviously, you know, the the selling point here is that we're not – You know, we're not taking an animal product. So they don't want to use fetal calf serum. So they have to then use recombinant growth factors. They're expensive. So the media is expensive. The equipment is expensive. You know, um, you know, it's a lot of stainless steel, a, a lot of energy. You know, one interesting thing is you have to run these incubators at 37 degrees. Um, so, there's a lot of energy uh, involved, which is, we can get into it, which it makes it interesting on even the sustainability issues here. Yeah, um,
1: Because that would just, I mean, in a way, and I know that, you know, I know that when companies are putting, you know, sustainability projects and, and in you know, initiatives into play, that you know they do there is eventually an roi but it's still an expense and so you, if you're setting up one of these facilities or running one of these facilities it's expensive on pretty much every every front isn't it because it's from the from the vat to the energy to the the um the training and and sophistication that you need from the your staff it's yeah
2: yeah. So early on, people said, look, you know, you would point to how we use this technology in the pharmaceutical industry because we use it to make monoclonal antibodies, we use it to make vaccines. So we've used it for a long time. Um, but they say, oh, look, we don't need all that fancy gear, you guys. We don't need all that, you know, h- ultra clean uh, rooms, etc.' But the reality is the reason we have an ultra clean room and people wearing protective gear is to protect the cells again from us, you know, that we don't infect them, you know, because and we use positive pressure. So when you open a door, you want the air to flow out of your room, you know, because what's flowing in otherwise is fungal spores. Oh we're filthy. You know, creatures. Take a, <laughs> well take a piece of bread and leave it on the bench for a few <laughs> days and see what happens. You know, no matter how clean your house is, you'll you know it'll it'll start to grow a nice little sort of furry greenish tinge. Um they're fungal spores. So so that's why we have positive pressure. Um, that's why we filter all the air coming into a facility. To so we don't get these things contaminated. Remember, you won't be able to use antibiotics in your media. You know, um, so so you know that's what as in the lab we used to always do. You put up pop a little bit of antibiotics to you know help you know not get your cells contaminated. Can't can't do that. This is food now. Um, so it has to be very strict, you know. Um, surfaces you've got to be able to clean all that down. I mean, these stainless steel tanks have to be able to have uh, an ability to um, self-clean. You know, you put a cycle on like your your dishwasher, and it cranks the temperature up and 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 you know sterilizes the tank before you run the next batch. So they are expensive. So there's a report put out, um, but uh by a european group that said look a, a decent sized facility is going to cost about 400 million us now i got a few other people to have a look at that and they said look it's probably 600 million you know <laughs> oh, but what's i thought million? you were just
1: i thought you were going to say oh no that was a, that was a great overestimate it was only about 150 no it's more
2: it's more um uh, so what we were saying is that look the depreciation on capital Will be a significant part of your cost of goods, because a lot of these are researchers, and they and the the concept of depreciation, you know, is like, what's the, Now we don't worry about that stuff. Um, so we kept saying that's going to be a big part of the costs, and they'd say, no, don't don't worry about that. So look, just in the last two weeks, uh, there's a group that did some modeling using sort of you know, uh, modeling systems for building facilities, and the figure they came up with is that the facility cost will be 48% of the final cost of product. So the things we sort of said are going to be a problem are starting to come through. You know, if you look at the facility that Upside is built in the US, they've built a facility that makes 50,000 pounds of product a year. It looks like a pharmaceutical facility. Okay. It's a lot of stainless <laughs> yeah. steel. It's a lot of people in white coats and, and, and booties and, and hairnets, you know. So the things that we said would lead to cost, we're actually seeing them. I'm, I mean, I visited Val's facility. They've got a single 2,000 litre f- fermenter there. Um, I've met with with them and George uh, invited me so in. So everyone, George Peck uh, is
1: one of the co-founders and Tim Noakesmith is- the other, um, and Tim's now a co-founder, director, and George is co-founder, CEO. We had Tim on um, sometime a while back, before they'd actually launched their facility, and um, and you know, and I want to make sure that everyone realizes this isn't a diss on the the field. This is just trying to provide a clearer picture than just the hyperbole that we often hear about these, you know, these new. Food, um, you know, developments. So, anyway, back back, back yeah. to you visited so, the look, facility.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I've known George before he set up Vow, and and uh, so he invited me along uh, to talk to his staff. We had a great discussion. Um, uh, he, I think, he introduced me to his staff as a frenemy, <laughs> um, which I quite like the term. Um, so, it's a really important discussion, you know. Uh, uh, you know, and one of those things was looking at their facility and. And uh, the fact that you know, uh, yes, you know, it, it, it is going to look like a pharmaceutical facility. You know, and now and now they're building their next factory. They'll they'll scale up f- further. They have put in their submissions um, uh, to the phizans to have a product registered. It, it's going to take a while. You know, that process is going to probably take a year or two. So, I think they're talking about the availability of their product in Australia in 2024 um, they've also put in a submission to the Singapore authority um, to have their product it's actually interesting that the first product came on in 2020 and they haven't actually seen a second product so that's that's interesting um, in the states two companies have had their fda clause. yeah
1: and that's a big that's a big deal isn't it for the fda to sort of say well we 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 don't we can't find an issue with your research to show yeah. that this is a you know a product that is fit for human consumption is is actually a very big deal
2: yeah so they they use this term grass which is not the stuff you roll up in smoke <laughs> um, it's it's generally recognized as safe so what they say it's it's look we don't see any great problems the only problem they've got in the US is that um, both reg- both regulatory that said that they get involved, so you've got the the FDA and the USDA. So, so although they've got FDA approval, they've now got USDA that has to actually inspect your facility uh, and give you, and then they also have to agree on the label. So we're going to have some fun about the oh, labeling. labeling you know, wow. what, what we call the, these products, um, which is which we're having with milk and we're having with plant based, you know, and I I think that's. It leads into a comment I want to make sure people understand with these products because people say, oh, these are, I'm using muscle cells, so this is meat. I want to point out that in meat there's a lot of cells. There's muscle cells, there's fat cells, there's connective tissue, there's blood vessels, there's vitamins, there's minerals. So, sorry, if you have a single cell, that's not the equivalent to meat. You're going to have to add back. Um, minerals and vitamins. Where's your B12 coming gonna come from? Um so that's an important thing because it goes to nutrition. I mean food is fundamentally, you know, about nutrition. And and we've got some really big problems. We've got obesity problems and and then in other parts of the world we've got people who are who don't have adequate diets. Whatever we do shouldn't make things worse. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's not make mm-hmm. it worse. We've got two billion people who are obese and that population is growing quickly, and we've got another billion people who, who don't have, have enough, who are know, starving. Don't mm. have enough, so we can't make that situation worse. So nutrition, and that's not talked about enough. That the, what is the nutrition? So I haven't seen an analysis yet uh, at a nutritional level of what are these products like. Like the one product in Singapore, as I said, is seventy percent cells, thirty percent plant. So they've added in fats. Oh, they've course. added in. Mm. Um,
1: because I think, I, think there is a, I think there is a conception out there that these products, they're made from the cells of the animal, so they think that all that is in there is the animal.
2: Yeah, but, it, you know, it can't. I mean, the other thing, you've got to have structure. So, you, can, you know, generally you mix, mix some plant-based material to give it a bit of structure. Otherwise, you, you know, as I said, I, I've got a goo you know uh, um, you know i remember as a kid um, you know uh, you know mum would stretch the budget by getting a bit of mince meat and making rissoles you know you put a bit of carrot and a few other a bit of potato or whatever you know and you made a a, a oh i think we i think we are pretty- in period
1: of of mince
2: renaissance at the
1: moment <laughs> yeah
2: and they were pretty tasty you know?
1: Yeah, of course. Nothing beats a wrist all. So, So that's what we- was we're- fancy if mum cooked it in an onion, you know, yeah. if, if mum made oh, an onion grape. Bit like-
2: of onion in there. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> we're going to see most of these products are actually going to end up as hybrid products. The the morsel product uh that thou makes is a blended product. I don't know what the blend is, but it's, it's a blended product. And that's fine. But they just talk about it as a food experience. They're not trying to use the term meat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know? Um, because- that it's a commodity you know so they're actually saying it's called morsel it's a food experience I think that's smart marketing um, um,
1: and I think with I think with all of this it's it really is this case of we we go the pendulum swings you know so we're, we've got these you know companies like vow or um, LF out uh, coming out of Israel or um, you know but you've, you've kind of got to go to the extreme for them to for us to then find what the new, normal is.
2: Yeah, look, this is interesting because they're actually saying we're going to produce a steak. So what they do is they use a scaffold and then they use 3D printing. So they grow up muscle cells, they grow up fat cells, and then they use a 3D printer to print these cells in an, in a structure. So when you look at it, it looks like it's got a bit of fat in, it, uh, in there. Now the problem there is you've now actually added another expensive technology. So the idea of three D printing your steak, um,
1: which blows my mind, it still by doesn't the
2: way. have it still doesn't have the same texture. You know, I mean, you know that you know a piece of tissue is a complex you know uh, thing, and and the complexity of meat is actually what helps in in creating bioavailability of minerals and vitamins. You know, the bioavailability of iron. In meat is what makes it such an important product for women of reproductive age, because many, many of them are have iron deficiencies. Mm. Uh,
1: This um, where's this where does this all land? Like in the end, you know, I mean, how big does it have to be for it to become financially viable, or is it just going to be that we're in this stage now, and then it will reach a point where yes, they start doing the hybrid pro. You know products, and that's where the that's where the business model actually makes sense.
2: So, if I give my bottom line, we will. I think what we'll end up with is niche products for high value markets. We won't transform the meat industry, which is what you know. There you know, the are reports out. The group called RethinkX put a report out in 2020 saying that this technology would bankrupt the red meat industry. Well, it won't. It's It's not even going to take a fraction. I mean, look at, this is an example. Look at the plant-based industry, plant-based meats. There's a lot of companies. I think I said 1,300 companies out there. In the US, which is the biggest market, it's 1.4% of the meat market. So, so after a couple of decades, we're 1.4%. Now, Rethink X said by 2030 these technologies. So you know they're they're just wild exaggerations. Um, so I think it will be niche markets. Uh, they will be high price products. That's why I think Val's being honest with its business model. Um, the largest factory in the states is a pilot facility uh, run by Upside. They produce I think up to I might have said this before fifty thousand pounds. If you think about what that is 50,000 pounds a year is about a thousand pounds a week, right? Okay, and if you look at the dress weight, no, the dress weight of a meat of a carcass, let's say that's three animals, okay? So that's a backyard butcher. <laughs> I can walk down the street, <laughs> and any decent butcher is slaughtering three animals a day, you know, or, or cutting them up. They don't do the slaughtering, but so let's just be honest about scale. And that's the biggest facility out there. You know, um uh there's a company out there that's saying, hey, that's fine, because we're gonna we're commissioning two hundred and fifty thousand liter fermenters. Okay, huge. But we've never grown cells about above about twenty thousand. So so it's really it's it's a bet. You know, I mean, <laughs> I that's, was
1: gonna say that's I a mean, big that's, gamble.
2: You know, you know, the famous, that's the Hail Mary pass. <laughs> you know, just throw it up there and hope at some stage. If you build it, they will come. Some, exactly. Either someone will catch it or by the time it comes down, you'll be out of, the, out of there and no one will remember you ever said this. <laughs>
1: if, um, you build, if you build it, the cells will multiply.
2: Yeah. And, and look, cells, you know, this is the other interesting. Cells are quite heavy. So when you put them into media, they settle down to the bottom of the tank. So what we do is we, we use propellers at the bottom, like marine propellers actually, to stir the media. And then we, and then as the volumes get bigger, that's not enough. So then we use air to push the cells up. Now, once you get to 250,000 litres, like a 10,000 litre tank is generally fits in a three-storey building. So let's think about what a 250,000 litre tank is. So the air pressure to force those cells up uh, is going to be enormous. Uh, and cells, they just like to rupture. So sheer force, you know, is going to be. So look, even even some of the other people in this business, you know, uh, are saying, hey, look, there's, there's an Israeli group called Believer Meets. They've actually called it out and said, look, we're not going above 20- 10,000 liters because sheer force will be a problem. So, even within the industry, there are people calling out some of this hype. Um, people are saying, hey, look, our cells won't need growth factors. Now, the trouble about that is generally a cell that doesn't need growth factors is called a tumour cell. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, that's, so- that's not that palatable. <laughs> no, I'm not sure about Tumor Burger no. as a brand name. Um, uh, so you don't want to go there. No. You, know, you just don't mm. want to go there, No, even though technically we could. So, um, we, you know, that's another issue. You've just got to be very careful about making sure that we, that we don't do too much to these cells, you know, uh, that t- take them down that pathway. Um, that's not what, you know, I, I don't want to say that's what anyone is doing, but I'm saying... Technically, if you went to that extent that they didn't, they were growth factor independent. Then you've got to then actually ask the question: What is the cell um, uh, doing? Um, so you know that's that's why again I just come back to this issue: cost, scalability uh, are, are really big issues um, that technically we haven't solved.
1: So this is the million dollar question. Or maybe it's the billion dollar question. They, like they, venture capitalists, just are looking at food tech, and I think they think it's going to be the next, you know, um, the next tech boom, and just throw money. Well, it seems it seems from the cheap seats over here that they do. I'm sure. I'm sure that all the startups out there are now yelling at me, going, "It's really hard."
2: Look, you know, as I said, there's been no shortage of money coming into this area. You know, two and a half billion dollars into the cell based meat um area. Um, we've only got the two small companies, but you know, Val for an Australian company, I think they've raised around 50 million. I mean that's they have done yeah that's really significant for yeah. for an Australian company and congratulations on them for doing that. But I have to say um a couple of things. One is I think you're right, the venture capital money, you know, looked around and said IT sort of not as not as interesting. Let's get into the food sector. Probably not understanding that Margins are pretty thin in the food sector. I mean, margins are generally single digit, um, and the the value chain is controlled by some big players. You know, you know, in Australia alone, the supermarkets control what sixty percent. So in the end, you actually have to go through the supermarkets. They tell you what your what your product will sell for. They tell you what you'll pay to have it on the shelf. <laughs> um, you know, they they set the rules. Um, we're seeing in Europe alone about ten percent of the plant-based products been taken off the shelf now because they're just not selling. Um, so I think the VC market coming in doesn't really understand food. Uh, they don't understand how thin the margins are. They love the story about let's save the world. You know they love that story, um, and it spins well. But you know when they talk about we'll feed ten billion people, I point out that we know where those people are going to be. They're not in New York, London, Singapore, Sydney. They're actually in Africa, Nigeria and, and countries. They're in India. And I ask the question, is this a solution for them? Are they craving out for, well, I just want a $50 burger? Um, you know, these people generally earn sort of less than $2 US a day. Uh, you know, that in Africa, 90% of the food produced in Africa is produced by smallholder farmers. Um, so... I. I I don't know that this is the solution f- for the people. So that's the first hype. Yeah,
1: we're
2: going to feed 10 billion yeah. people. you know. Well, <laughs> sorry, we produce plenty of food in the Western world. You only have to look at our obesity problem. You know, this. Yes, you know, we could just eat a little bit yeah. less. <laughs> we really <laughs> good idea. Um, um, So it's not it's not red meat making you fat. It's like the donut and the uh, sugary drink and what you know. <laughs> Uh, You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that's one of the hypes. The other one is, of course, the costs will keep coming down. You know, Moore's Law, you know. um, Now, the interesting thing about Moore's Law is it's never been applied to biology. It actually applies to engineering principles. You know, the cost of transistors will come down. Uh, Sometimes, but oh look, the cost of DNA sequencing comes down, and you actually have to point out to people that's not a biological system. <laughs> you know, that's a bit of smart chemistry. So Moore's law doesn't apply. Cells won't grow above a certain density. They won't grow in the absence of of, of growth factors, unless they're tumours. Um, they uh, they don't like sitting in their own waste. So you have to keep changing the media. Gosh, you know, they really aren't quite. Again,
1: they really are quite
2: demanding, aren't they? They're very demanding. <laughs> They're very demanding. These mammalian cells—they um, actually talk to each other. You know, they signal. They signal each other. I mean, these these are living cells, and um, uh, so you know, so Moore's law doesn't apply. Um, uh, we know that the cost has to come down a thousandfold. Now, I had <coughs> interesting debate recently with the Good Food Institute. I, the good thing sheet is like they're the cheerleaders for this sort of technology. And they put out a report saying, look, we can do all these things and we'll take the growth of the cell fact, um, growth factors will come down, the cost of them, by 90%. And I had to point out to them, that's one fold change. We have to come down 1,000 fold. And they went, oh, okay, we hadn't realize that percentages and folds are different things. So um, generally when I was in the tech industry, if we did something in discovery and then we wanted to take it into manufacturing, we could be tenfold out in our costs. But we knew with smart manufacturing we could bring the cost down tenfold. But no one's taking a product into manufacturing. That's a thousandfold away from where it has to be. No one's – I can guarantee you, you know, that if you took that to the, uh, you know, the um, investment committee, they're going, get out of the room. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, mm. So that's – cost will cost will come down, but they're not going to come down the order of magnitude that means that these products are going to compete on price. I don't know about taste. Uh, you know, people, I think – You know, we were chatting the other day, and and Magic Valley, you know, just released their pork. I know you talked in the summary, released their pork product. Um, And I've been chatting to some people online today. They said it tastes nice, but the question I asked is what it tastes like, and they said it tastes like chili sauce. (laughs) You know, it was a pork wonton. You know, yeah. Um, Well, you know, tastes like pork
1: wontons and chili sauce are delicious. They are fantastic. (laughs)
2: Um, So. Uh, so taste, yeah, you can, you know, that's why we, we have good chefs who create those beautiful sauces to go with product. The question I'd love to ask is what's the nutritional value? What, what analysis have you done on nutritional value? You know, what's the iron content? What's the calcium content? What's the zinc content? Where did you get your B12 from? Um, no one's actually talking about that yet.
1: No, no. And I think you touched on this before when we're looking at where, you know, where these where this population growth is going to be over the, you know, in the, down the track. And, and it's in countries that are not, uh, you know, that have developing economies or are dealing with a great deal of, um, you know, malnutrition or poor access to clean water or, and, uh, you know, the question for them is what is the quickest and most efficient and cheapest way to get high nutrition foods into those populations?
2: And we know some of that, some of that, you know, we, we know if you go to Africa, a a dairy cow is producing about two to four litres of milk. Now a dairy cow here in Australia is producing 20 to 30 litres of milk a day. So there's tenfold difference. So we know how we can help. So a bit of crossbreeding, disease control. So, you know, one of the charities I was chairing, we, we're, developing vaccines for those animals so they're healthier, they're better reproduction. So we know that with existing technology, we can at minimum double, triple the productivity. Now, that's the best thing we can do. Now, it doesn't help the vegans out because we're still going to have milk and meat and, uh, and that. But, you know, the reality is that the issue about whether you eat animal products that that that's an ideological decision it's not a scientific decision so i have no problem with anyone choosing their particular diet but don't try to dress it up with science don't try to tell me that you know this is the best thing for you because i can tell you in those countries you know africa there's 150 million children who have micronutrient deficiency we know that an egg a day or a glass of milk a day We completely take that away. Now, these are children who will never recover because they didn't have those critical micronutrients in that first five years. They will have runting and stunting, and they won't recover from that. So that's where I'd like to focus in those countries on the solutions that we do know today work, um, and then we can layer other things in at a a later stage. So I don't think this is the tech we do need to help. if we're going to have a more food, food sustainability on a global basis, we have to help Africa. So yeah, so we, we know how we can help there uh, we know healthy diets. We know sustainability. I mean we do need all, everyone who's in manufacturing knows their products have to be more sustainable. But if you know if I've got a, a bit of land, you know I, I've got lots of options you know i can grow trees i can have wildlife corridors i can fence off waterways i can have solar and wind power so you know farmers actually have a lot of options we're already seeing you know um, carbon neutral products coming on the market we need to see more of that we need to see more of that it's why you know red meat industry in australia has the cn30 you know carbon neutral by 20- 2030 now Some people say, oh, they'll never make it. But you know what? We've come down 50% since 2005. So, you know, the the question is not will we make it. The question is, are we on the right projections? You know, are we on the right track? Um, Dairy's got a, you know, target is a 30% reduction. So it's not like we're sitting on our hands.
1: No. But this is what it's going to take, isn't it? That it it takes all of yeah. us like in every aspect the the food tech the precision fermentation the cultivated meat you know labs right through to then what how are we how are we growing crops and how are we you know raising our livestock yeah. i mean it's it's going to take the entire holus bolus. It's, it's, we can't just be going, this is the- There's no magic bullet. You know, this is the messiah. Yeah, no, uh,
2: f- we haven't even dealt with one of my favourites, Food Waste. I chair chair an insect <gasps> protein company.
1: Listen, so, we have to, you know, I'm going to have you yeah. back. <laughs> I'll have you back because Food Waste is another massive-, exactly. uh, massive
2: There's a lot we can do um, there. There's a, a lot we there can is, do in the Food is. Waste space.
1: All right, right, we'll uh, we will definitely reconvene on Food Waste. It has been an absolute- joy to have you on um, today. And I hope that people have sort of, it, it's provided just a better framework on, and context of, you know, these, these, you know, new developments. What do you think, Grant?
0: Oh, it's been a great chat. I've really enjoyed listening along and there's been some good perspective and a little bit of reality on some of the hype associated with the, you know, vat growing cellular meats world. I found it very interesting.
2: Yeah, look, I I didn't plan to be the cranky old white guy (laughs) at the end of my career going, you know, the the sky is falling. Um, But I suppose I learned enough about about the business side of technology to know that in the end, that's where you have to meet and you have to, the business Mm -hmm. model has to be right and the customers have to be right uh, and comfortable with these products. Uh, And that's, I suppose, what I'm trying to just, Mention that you know, like let's let's take a bit of the VC hype out of it, um, and think about where these products are going to sit in our food system.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, and, yes, we will have you back on to talk food waste. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks to everyone who's joined us today to listen to this most amazing discussion. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow this podcast in your favourite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they release, as we have many that are thought-provoking like this one. <laughs> we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food & Drink Business Podcast. Produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business. Owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform, and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a
2: Yappa Media Podcast.
0: Southern Skies Media.